Good evening, Sam. Good evening, Sam. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing well. I, I have a question for you. Question. Okay. I'm sure you've seen this going around the internet a lot. But I was worrying I was wondering how often you think about the Athenian Empire. Oh my, the Athenian Empire. Yeah. I think a lot about the I think a lot about the Roman Empire. That's not the question, um, Sam. Gen Z less, demands to know how often you as a man think about the Athenian Empire. Less than I should. Wow. Damn. I'm disappointed. Once a, once a week. Depend, <laughs> it, it, it depends what I'm teaching. <laughs> if I'm teaching, like uh, right now I'm teaching uh, Greek and Roman tragedy, which is mostly Greek. And by Greek, I mean Athenian. And by Athenian, I mean during the, you know, essentially the Athenian empire. So I think about it, you know, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, but there if I'm go. not, if, if I'm not teaching that, then less than, uh, how often do you? Are you, uh, are you, do you, do you lose sleep over, you know, Pericles and Themistocles and all the, the Cleases? Think about, I think about the, uh, the Athenian silver mines constantly. Oh, and Larium. Yeah. Yeah. No, basically never. I also never think about the Roman empire for listeners who are curious, but you know, that's my own, that's my own cross to bear. We'll fix that. Yeah. I, you know what I think about more than I think about the Roman empire or the Athenian empire? Percy Jackson. No, Roman Concrete. Cue the music. Hello, and welcome back to the All Roads podcast, the place where two Sams talk about concrete. And the Greeks and the Romans. And the Greeks and the Romans. Uh, we're your hosts. I'm Dr. Sam Kindick. And I'm Sam Hahn. Concrete Sam, as we yes, call him. Exactly. You know, I, I love the fact that the Romans figured out how to make concrete and they made the coolest building ever. If you haven't been to Rome, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't get to Rome, but if you get to Rome, you have to go see um the pantheon and the beautiful dome made out of concrete and just marvel at the fact that people forgot how to make concrete and only until recently did we actually learn the ancient recipe for concrete did you know that the romans were able to make concrete that hardened underwater that's crazy that's so cool yes i i did well i i figured you did but you know i'm a roman historian listeners at home the romans came up with all sorts of cool stuff um during their time and then it was forgotten. And if you go to Florence, you'll see a, a, a bad example of a dome. And then you can go to Rome and you can see an older, better example of a dome. So uh, my wife loves Florence and she hates that I called the Duomo a really dumb, stupid dome. Uh, but it is kind of in comparison. So there you go. If Florence lovers come at me in the comments, leave leave a positive review, but feel free to, to you know, to shame me um, in that five-star review. Have you read the... the uh... The Ross King book, Brudeleski's Dome, about the building of the Duomo, El Duomo. Does he said it was? Did he say it was a good dome? Well, yeah, it was it was a great dome. Yeah. Well, he's wrong then, isn't he? You should read it. <laughs> uh, okay. You'll you'll learn a lot. Um, <laughs> you'll 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 yeah you'll get out of your bad ways. Yeah. Uh, because Florence was sort of a golden age for dome building at least post-roman uh 
And speaking of golden ages, oh, what a my, good transition! We come back to for Percy my Jackson. Yeah, we come back to Percy Jackson, folks. This is our last episode looking at uh, the very well. No, it's not. We'll have oh. one more. We're going to talk more. about Medusa, and there's a connection to concrete. Oh, it's true. Uh, These beautiful sculptures. Right. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about that next time. Right. Does Sally Jackson just murder somebody at the end of <laughs> Percy Jackson one? Uh, but this is our, this is our, this is our um, uh, penultimate episode uh, about the first book about the lightning thief. After, uh, after we finish this, we're going to continue on looking at each of the other books in the uh, uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians um, pentad are now, now there's like a six, uh, but we're, we're going to move it a, a, a greater clip. I think just doing one episode per book. Uh, and then we'll talk about the movies and the TV show. I think we'll talk about the TV show respond sort of in real time as best we can. Yeah. So good. Excited for that people. Um, but we're talking about the golden age. Um, what is a golden age? A golden age in the ancient understanding is this kind of like ancient time period when humans lived different lives than the ones that we live today. Uh, you heard us last episode talk a little bit about one of my favorite poets, Hesiod, uh, the ancient Greek poet um, who many consider second to Homer, but I hold him near and dear to my own heart. Um, and he's kind of the originator of this idea of the different ages of man. And it starts with the golden age. And this is a time of prosperity and leisure where people don't have to work hard. Um, you know, the, the earth, you know, produces abundance that, you know, people can enjoy without, you know, spending their lives toiling over the land. Um, and notably, this is the time when Kronos is king. Um, again, Hesiod describes it, you know, this is back when he was king in the sky, unlike Zeus. Um, but once Zeus overthrows Kronos, then we kind of move forward in the ages of men, right? And unsurprising, there's a theme of metals, right? We move from gold to silver to bronze. We take a slight detour and we move to the age of heroes. And then we duck back and we end up in the age of iron, right? You know, under Zeus... The, you know, the silver age is a kind of age of a bit of arrogance. People don't worship the gods and the gods kind of um, um, ju judge them and, and cast them aside. Um, and they kind of, tr they kind of spend the rest of time on earth as benevolent spirits. The bronze age is very violent and kind of wipe themselves off the face of the earth. Uh, and then the heroic age comes, and this is where you have, you know, Achilles at Troy, you have, um, you know, the the seven against Thebes, right? You have all of these kind of great epic stories of all the famous heroes of Greek myth. They are born and die in the heroic age and now spend their, their you know, the afterlife on the islands of the blessed um, in the afterlife. Um, and we unfortunate souls um, were, were sorry enough to be born in the age of iron, which is defined by hardship and toil if you've ever read thomas hobbes this is the state of nature right um you know 
the you know men's lives are nasty brutish and short in the age of iron and you know we have to make our way in the world that zeus rules over um yearning for a better time in history how's yeah, that sound it's, that sounds i mean it sounds horrible the iron age it sounds yeah. like 2020 right if like 2020 like gave off like some serious iron age vibes uh I think more like great depression but i hear you well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's all, it's all, it's all iron. It's all terrible. And, it's true. Uh, it's it's yeah. been a long time since we've, we've, we've enjoyed the golden age. The only time we get to remember what the golden age, age is like is during the Saturnalia. So for those of you who are looking forward to the Christmas season, know that this is the time when, when um, Saturn, um, um, AKA Kronos gets to sit back on the throne and remind us how good things used to be. Uh, back when he was king should we do a saturnalia episode why like not? a special yeah well we we yeah <laughs> uh i won't i won't drop any spoilers in case things change but we do have a potential uh valentine's day special uh on Ooh. on on q um but yeah these ages so let's i want to go back a little bit um yeah, please i've got questions i mean yeah query I away students, I tell my students this all the time. They always ask me questions. I say, why are you asking me? I don't know. Right. I got, I got a lot of questions. All right. You know, I, I read this stuff for a living and I got a lot of questions. Uh-huh. Uh, my, my first question, right. In this golden age, um, you know, I think people have fruitfully compared it to a sort of garden of Eden situation. Uh, there's some great, uh, you know, Renaissance paintings of the different ages of man, which can help you sort of visualize it. But yeah, it's this period where you don't really do anything. You know, the, the fruit on the trees just shows up. Uh, you like no one goes anywhere because the, the, the Greeks and the Romans associated uh, like, like, like there's no sailing. There's no need to sail. Uh, Cause there's only, only two, you know what the two things are you, you need to sail for Sam as the Greeks nope. saw it. No, war, war in commerce, right? right. The yeah. Ro- the Romans harp on that. Like so, when when the first boat comes along, right, which is the Argo, uh, it only spells problems because now yes, people can go fight. They go to Troy, um, or people get you know obsessed with money because they become merchants. But we don't have this in the Golden Age, and you know streams of milk and 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 nectar, um, come out of the grounds. What Ovid says, but why? It's so good, right? It's so good. But why would this be the time when Kronos ruled, right? I mean, this whole, as we talked about in the last episode, there's this whole generational shift from the, the, the generation of Oranos to the generation of Kronos to this generation of Zeus, which I think sort of makes sense because that's the the generation of gods who you know are now and will be forever sort of as the the Greeks thought about it it's it's the it's the stable status quo why would the best i mean is this just like everyone's just like a a grumpy old man that like the best times were back in the day is that like what's going on here yeah i don't know i mean i, I yeah I, I hate to do too much comparison here but i think i i wonder how much of this kind of garden of eden garden of eden analogy uh, bears out here Right. Um, you know, because according to Ovid, who is kind of the, the progenitor of man, it's Prometheus, right? The giver of fire, the fire thief, 
right? You know, according to Ovid and, and a lot of ancient, you know, tradition, right? It is Prometheus who, you know, brings about, you know, men into existence. And so men are kind of born in the time of Titans. And so the very earliest existence of man is this, you know, kind of, you know, early creation story that we kind of fall away from and things only get worse and worse and worse and worse um, over time. Um, so I, I wonder how much of this is just like the newness um, of the creation of, of, of men and this kind of like things are new. We haven't developed these societies yet um, um, because, you know, the, the iron age is defined by agriculture, by, you know, um, city making. And this also, of course, comes with all sorts of the the troubles and administrative and bureaucratic headaches that you would expect with civilization, which only makes life harder um, in kind of Hesiod's understanding of things. Yeah, it's true. It's, it, it's, it's uh, I've got Ovid here in front of me. And so in the Silver Age, uh, that's when you start to actually have uh, sort of construction. People, right. people start living in caves, but they also sort of, um, you know, start building simple shacks. And I'm interested in the development of um, construction like that. Uh, and so that's, for me, that's interesting that you, that you get that in that evolution. There's also some weird things about the Silver Age, right? And I think it's in Hesiod where, yes. you know, you're like a baby for a really long time um, and you just like hang out with your mom and then you like grow up and then you die pretty quick. But like so that, the assumption there is that like all babies are 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 male, right? Because the moms just like have the babies, right. and then, yeah. So things don't work out. And the yeah, other I, thing, I don't. I, I, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to read from Hesiod, right? A boy would be uh, nurtured for a hundred years at the side of his cherished mother, playing his, in his own house, a great fool. Um, but when they reach adolescence and arrived at the full measure of puberty, they would live for a short time only suffering pains because of their acts of folly. Again, the silver age is kind of a very foolish and reckless age. And one of the things that defines them is their kind of unwillingness to actually worship the gods um, is kind of one of their defining features. Yeah. And I think something that I don't think you really hit on. Um, and I think this is the case. I could be wrong. Um, but at least as it's, they're generally conceived. I mean, each generation is, each age is literally a new species, right? It's not like society. I mean, it's, it's a metaphor, right? You know, society changes sure. and stuff, but, but if the first humans, you know, humans with scare quotes, I guess, um, were, you know, fashioned by Prometheus or Prometheus is giving credit to them. That's actually a distinct species from, from us, right? We yeah. are, we are physically and genetically different from the golden age and the, the silver age. And maybe, maybe this is reading too much into it and thinking about it too much, but can you bring back a golden age, right? Which is what Luke wants. It's what, you know, people right. have, have, have argued for throughout, uh, you know, throughout history, right? Let's, let's return to this time when nobody had a, had to work uh, and, you know, milk and honey came out of the earth and there was no war, right? Is that, is that even possible? Our, our, our species, our, our, you know, version of humans who are so defined by our short, 
nasty brutish lives and our love of money and bureaucracy and war which by the way we're not even as good at as the heroic age or the bronze age people um it's just it's just horrible right he's it i mean he's the other thing he says like this this, like this really sucks like this yeah um is it possible to even go back and if you do like what's what's at stake i mean I, i think it's uh it's you can understand the appeal and you can understand the desire to go back. Uh, you you look around and whether it's 2023 or 2020, 2020, or whether it's Marcus Aurelius um, writing his meditations, right? You look around you and you're like, the world is literally a dumpster fire. Uh, things, things used to be better. Yeah. But is I'm that, trying... is that possible? Well, well, the Romans certainly seem to think so. Um, under under um, you know a fellow named um, Augustus, who you, dear listener, may have heard of before. Um, yes, first Roman emperor. Yeah, you know a lot of the imagery that he takes up when he comes to power is very much this return to a golden age. And he does a lot of very sim- symbolically important things in Rome, right? He closes, you know, the doors of war, you know, in, in the Temple of Twice. Mars. Right. And, you know, establishes, you know, the Pax Romana, right? The Roman peace, uh, which again, you can question, you know, how much peace is of it? How much peace do you have when you're establishing it through military force but you know uh for for the romans you know this is an important you know symbol um that you know augustus does um to signal in again this kind of return to this kind of age of prosperity um yeah and i guess with uh if you'll indulge me a sort of roman historical please uh yeah because that's my Shtick, shtick's not the right word. I mean, sort of is. Uh, that's <laughs> that's my wheelhouse. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so the thing that Augustus does, right? This first Roman emperor, uh, he sort of he's sort of the last man standing at the end of a series of civil wars, um, which ends the Roman Republic. And the the sort of great illusion that he does is that he, I mean, yes, he establishes a military autocracy. Um, would I mean he he controls the armies and right. so he controls Rome, um, but he he creates this illusion, right? That he's you know at first sort of initially you know restored the republic, um, but you know also that he's he's not this autocrat. He's definitely not a king, right? Which was a dirty word for the Romans. Um, you know he was first among equals. You know, we're we're all the same. I'm just a little bit more equal than the rest of you. Um, but what he did is he, all the powers he took, pretty much everything he did had some sort of historical precedent. He he didn't just say, "Well, the republic is over. I'm now the king. I'm now the emperor, and it's it's all new." He he combined previously existing powers and titles, and he gave himself absolute power. And so he created a new period, but he did so by channeling a former period. He sort of repurposed it. 
And so in that context, if the golden age is this former period um, that we can't go back to, right? Maybe we can sort of refashion it. If you see where I'm going, right? He, it's not really a new, it's not, it's not the golden age. It's a new right. golden age. Um, Cause we still live in houses. I mean, we, we imagining ourselves as the Romans, right. And we do work, you know, we do work hard, right. The poor are still doing quite bad. Um, their lives are not necessarily easier, right. The earth doesn't spontaneously produce more things, right. The Romans are getting a lot of their agriculture from, you know, slave labor on plantations. If you want to draw a connection to, you know, America's own history, Right. There is, you know, the abundance is not coming at without a cost um, to people, but that is like an important framing um, that he does pick up and does, I mean, kind of catch on, at least in like literature and whatnot, like people repeat it. Though it's also and this is, again, another it's a bigger topic for hopefully another day. Um, but right, most of these, you know, and we have different authors that. Um, do come back to this imagery of the golden age and uh, you know, once Rome was rustic and backwards, but like uh, now it's going to be great again. Um, this sort of back and forth imagining through time in the poetry, which is really quite uh, cool, I think. But a lot of these guys are, you know, sort of mouthpieces of, of the sure. emperor, right? We don't, sure. you know, we don't have, uh, we do have some, some you know some voice to normal romans at various moments in roman history pompeii and uh graffiti and pompeii and stuff like that but those are mostly like it's me uh titus i fuck 12 whores my cock is huge right it's like that yeah. kind of stuff and not right. like augustus's dream of a golden age is just a a, yeah. a propagandistic lie um, right but we can, you know, and this is the last thing I'll say because we've drifted from one from modern literature to ancient literature. Uh, you know, we do have people like Ovid, right, who is who does talk about the golden age, and he is definitely uh, he's subversive. I mean, he's he does a great job of sort of doing lip service to Augustus and towing or appearing to tow the party line, but he definitely takes some shots, uh, and for his trouble, he gets kicked out of Rome, uh, but. Yeah, so this is maybe one of the problems that we see with with the ancient world is that we don't I mean the, the the number of voices we have are are small, right? We have the you know wealthy, educated, elite men um for the most part, right? So has here's one of those famous transitions. Has Luke not read his Ovid? Has he not read his Virgil? Has he not read his Hesiod? Does he not understand what a golden age is? Because this th we're talking about this because at the end of the first book, at the end of The Lightning Thief, right, he makes this reference to the golden age in conjunction with this overthrowing of the Olympians. Right, exactly, right. He literally says there is a new golden age coming, right? And, you know, before this, again, when he's, when he's pitching, you know, the world that he envisions creating with Kronos, right? He's like, you know, Kronos will cast the Olympians into Tartarus, you know, and drive humanity back to their caves, all except the strongest, the ones who serve him, right? This is the quote from the book. And again, I read that and thought, 
Luke doesn't know what the golden age is. Like none of this sounds like the golden age, people living in caves, this idea of like, you know, survival of the fittest, like is not a golden age idea really at all. Nor is this, you know, idea of like kind of like this returning of like, we're going to establish the world in the way it was by putting Cronus on the throne and having him rule. Like, again, this isn't really kind of the imagining of, of ancients, as you pointed out, right? There's this kind of like new golden age that looks quite a bit different. Um, but again, Luke's imagining is um, what if the golden age kind of never ended and Zeus had never come to power. Uh, but again, his, his imagining seems really off um, because, you know, I think there's an interesting pitch, right? All good villains need a good pitch. And I think, you know, Luke's pitch is the gods aren't actually all that good, which again is a kind of compelling idea at the end of Percy Jackson, because yeah, you really haven't seen the gods do anybody favors. They've made a lot of mistakes. They've done a lot of wrong. And Luke is not incorrect when he says, right, they've they've kind of ruined it maybe we should just start over right and you think well maybe right the olympians have made a mess of it and in the ancient understanding humans do really well under chronos like the golden age is kind of the best that they hope and it really only kind of gets worse once zeus steps in and takes power now of course your point stands that you know what humans were talking about changes with each age um, the biology of the golden age right. is different than the biology of, yeah, said nobody. But ever. at the same time, when people, when Hesiod talks about it, right, when he gets to the Iron Age, right, Hesiod says this, he's like, if only then did I not have to live among the fifth men, but could have either died first or been born afterward. Um Right. And he, you know, he describes the Iron Age as not ceasing from toil and distress by day, nor from being worn out by suffering at night. So, you know, Hesiod definitely is like, I wish I was born in the Golden Age. So there is like a certain amount of, you know, continuousness to these ages. They're not perfectly distinct. There is this aspirational things were better back in the day. Um, but again, it, Luke has this and then kind of casts it aside, right? He has good mythological precedent that he doesn't seem to know because his vision of the golden age is quite brutal, um, um, which I thought was really fascinating. And again, I don't know if that's subversive or if this is a kind of reinterpretation um, on the part of um, our, our friend, uncle Rick, but um, yeah, I, I found that very fascinating. And I think, you know, this ties into the conversation we had last episode too about, you know, this intergenerational conflict. Um, and again, is Zeus a good king and would Kronos be better? I think there's an argument to be made that Kronos might actually be better for humans, but Luke doesn't actually make that argument, uh, which I found fascinating. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen him. He's just this like voice, right? Right. In this pit. And I don't know, I, I the whole thing to me, it just seems very angsty, right? Because Luke is also, he's sure. older, right? He's like 18 or 19. I don't think we don't have his full backstory. Um, right. But he's, he's trying to overthrow this entire ruling generation, this ruling class of the Olympians, who, of course, his father is a part of. Right. Right. 
And I don't know. It it seems very uh, coincidental to me that he's like this, like 18 or 19 year old kid who was essentially at some point dropped off at a camp, a summer camp. Uh, and now he just like hangs out at the camp and all his friends are like, like how old's Percy Jackson? Like 14. Yeah. Something like that. Right. So yeah. he's, he's like really good friends with a bunch of 14 year olds. Like right. how many, how many 18 or 19 year olds and you know, leave an angry review if I'm totally wrong about this, but you know, still give it five stars. Um, right. <laughs> I think he's 18 or 19. Yeah. And he's like, he's a camp case old enough. He's a counselor. He like went on this quest previously, but he's like hanging out with all these kids and he's like teaching these, these, these substantially younger kids to sword fight. And he just lives at this camp. I mean, he probably hates his dad. Right. Is I think this oh, is yeah. like this, this has to be a, an angsty, you know, Oh, this, you know, this, he, he doesn't feel loved right by his dad. Right. And so this, this, this voice from a former time is like, you are important. You know, you've got a task, you've got a, you know, a quest, I guess it's, you know, the, in the, the Percy Jackson terminology. That's, that's really interesting. I really hadn't thought about it exactly in that way, because I do feel like there is in some ways, I feel like an analogy to or even our own time where this, there is this kind of like misappropriation of right. Kind of ancient myth, ancient history, whatever you want to call it, a mix of both. Right. Where it's like young men, men used to be men, right. Leonidas, like of Sparta, Right. And like, this is your heritage. You should claim it. Right. And there's obviously ties to, um, you know, terrible ideas like white supremacy and things like that. But there is also this like, you know, this is a common theme in mythology, right? Men used to be men back in the day, right? You read the Iliad, right? And you have the old warriors talking to Achilles, right? The greatest hero of his time. He's like, back in my day, I fought way bigger you know, guys than you ever fought, you couldn't even, you know, you know, lift a pinky to these guys. Right. And there is this like idea. And I don't know, I wonder if there is a certain amount of like, like the kind of misunderstanding of the past and these kind of ideas and stories can be used to manipulate young men um, in a way that kind of leads to you know, the harm of others, the harm of themselves or, or, or things like that, you know, again, because it's clear to me that Luke doesn't actually know what he's talking about um, when he makes this pitch. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, 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 I really find it resonates with me. The whole idea of, well, it doesn't resonate with me, but I like the, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a human phenomenon where this idea of like things used to be better um and you know people say it now uh and you know oh and and there was this whole thing during covid there where you know teachers were like oh the students you know lost out and you know everything is different and education is burning up but they've been saying this forever i mean it's in the short term you can go back right there was a uh, I don't, do you ever listen to the band The Offspring? No, I don't. I don't know who The Offspring are. Well, uh, you have your homework. Uh, they were they were like a like a punk punk rock 
punk pop band from the nineties. Um, and I was listening to the, the radio, not the radio. I'm really going to out myself as a loser uh, to Pandora. <laughs> My students give me all this grief over not using Spotify, but whatever. Um, and the song the by the offspring came up and it's called the kids aren't all right. And it's basically the song of like, you know, every, you know, everyone had all this promise, uh, but you know, there's all these problems and there's drugs and people are teen pregnancies and, you know, it's like, Oh my God, the nineties, like what happened? We like fell apart as a society. And like now 30 years later, we're like, man, the nineties were so idyllic. We didn't have phones and like, it was great. And right. you know, th- there's always this generational thing. And it, it of course goes back to the Greeks, you know, in uh, Aristophanes clouds, right. It's the, the whole premise is like these damn kids, like, you know, they're lazy and all they do is like, do like bet on horse racing. It's like you know, they, they all just do like you know yeah. FanDuel and DraftKings and their stupid daily fantasy. That's all I think about is gambling, and it's all about you know outsmarting people and like. So it's it's crazy that I mean, there's definitely this this putting the past on this pe- this pedestal, right? Where things used to be better, right? Mm-hmm. Back in the days of the Greeks and the Romans, you know, men were men. Um, like maybe, maybe they're forced to, but they also surely died a lot younger and had pretty horrific right. lives. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so is that what's going on with Luke? I mean, is it this just, you know, Cronus is like, listen, man, like back in my day, you know, back before these Olympians uh, things were, you know, more important i mean i think there's a, a there's a important aspect of giving luke a job right i mean now he literally teaches sure. sword fighting to like middle schoolers um like right. part-time uh well and it's also this thing too where he's like I, we're gonna bring back the golden age but he, what he actually wants is to be a hero right that is, that's his great complaint right my dad sent me on the same mission that heracles went on right? Like it's already been done. Like I wish I had been born in the age of heroes and could have actually done my own original hero thing, but like that's got long and gone. Right. And so like this golden age that he's hoping for, right. He doesn't want to live in leisure with like, you know, just like relaxing, eating grapes, like in beautiful weather. Like he wants to be fighting and dying on, you know, the fields of Troy. Like that's what he wants actually. Uh, which again, I think gets back to this like idealism where he doesn't actually have a, a, a way to pinpoint it. Right. He doesn't actually have a specific reference. It is just generally things were better before. And he doesn't understand actually what he's potentially ushering in and what its consequences might be. Um, yeah. And there's just, there's this whole cyclical aspect to the the Percy Jackson universe right. um that it's not fully explained I'm not, I don't know if it is explained at any point later um or if Uncle Rick has uh expanded on it in you know a companion or something but right this idea that you know Olympus and I think this is one of the things that he's I know that when he's doing this TV show that he's correcting some of the things that he wished he had done a little differently and the, you know, the phrasing, this emphasis on the West, um, the Western tradition type stuff. 
so maybe this is one of those things, but right. That the Olympus is always wherever it is most important, you know, society is, is ruling in the, in the West. So it moves from Greece to Rome. Then it's in, I think he mentions France, Germany, England. I don't know if he mentions like Florence, that would be a, a place. Um, but now it's in America. And so there's this cyclical nature in the same sense that monsters after a certain period of time, like regenerate, you know, so, so they, they actually fight Medusa and it is the real Medusa, but she also was also killed by, you know, um, um, Perseus. Right. Which is also notable because of course our hero is named Percy whose full name is Perseus, right? He's a second, he's a second Perseus, right? And there is also just repetition in our hero too. But I guess, and we're going to explore this more in the next episode, but like, is there, are there just complete stories that we don't know? Like if, like, was there a Perseus in, you know, medieval France or medieval Germany? Right. Like was, did, did all this stuff happen before? I mean, it, it, and I guess I'm thinking about this in terms of, you know, could there be another golden age because this all works out cyclically? I mean, is that, and maybe this is just reading too much into everything, but you know, Luke is, is, is anxious because yeah, Heracles went on that quest already, but so did probably 12 other heroes at different points in the, the previous or subsequent 3000 years. And was there somebody before Heracles? Right. And and even Percy Jackson undercuts this, you know, it's already been done before sort of thing. And it's like, well, yeah, like Percy and Annabeth and Grover redo a lot of things and it's still compelling. Right. That's the that's kind of the fun thing about these myths is like Luke says they can't be original. Um, but you say. I mean, couldn't you levy this same complaint against the Percy Jackson books, which obviously doesn't hold because people do find them interesting, right? It's okay to tell the same story again and again, uh, because yeah, there is something about it that is just so captivating. Um, And it changes, right? right. I mean, this is something we talked about in, in episode one, right? I mean, there's, it's, it's a retelling of myth and it's been done before. Um, and it's been done famously before a bunch of times, right? I mean, right. Robert Graves, Edith Hamilton, uh, you know, Bullfinch's mythology, you know, Ovid is a retelling, of, you know, uh, Apollodorus is a retelling of myths. Like Hesiod is a retelling of an oral tradition. Right, right? exactly. So right, and, exactly. And every time, every time it, it changes, but it also, you know, in, more clearly in some cases than others it reflects the 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 time the era i mean it's and this is cool because we're going to see this again i mean when we when we get the tv show it's going to be 20 years removed from the book and so it's going to be updated um and you know the references to you know fax machines or whatever you know there's there's definitely some dated references um in these books uh you know they're going to be replaced with with relatable contemporary things so you can tell the same story again and again um but it changes and it's it's 
its meaning changes and its reception changes. Right. So I think Luke needed more. I mean, definitely needed more history classes, but that dude needed some English classes too. And maybe a dad who cared about him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, is he paid? Do you think as a kid, like he just gets like room and board and like orange uh, counselor t-shirts? Yeah. I doubt he gets paid as somebody who worked at a summer camp. You don't make that much working at a summer camp either. There's so. a lot of exploitation. There's like the exploitation of the like hero class is a, it's a real thing. Yeah. Where's Karl Marx um, in this, in the Percy Jackson universe? He was the son of, ironically, Hermes, right? As a, as a sort of <laughs> an, an economic uh, god of uh, transactions, because that's what Hermes is, the god of transactions and boundaries and crossing boundaries. Ah, see, you came, you came all the way around to the start of the episode. You answered your own question. I don't so even remember what the question was. Oh, who is Hermes? And I think, I think oh. that's a beautiful summation. Well. I'm known for my beautiful summations. What else do we want to say? I mean, is there, have we, uh, have we played it out? I mean, we are, we're simple iron age men uh, and we're limited in our, our scope, our ability and our everything. Well, I, I want to throw out one thing. Um, ancient myth is so fascinating because it kind of refuses to be homogenous um, people are constantly playing with it, as you noted, Sam. Um, and later readers are always rereading myths and saying, I don't like that. That's unsatisfying. Let me add a little revision. Let me, you know, you know, you know, we might call it fan fiction nowadays. Um, and I do think it is this interesting thing kind of to tie a bow maybe around the ages of man and this discussion of, you know, intergenerational infighting, right, between Cronus and Zeus and Percy and Poseidon and you know and the whole demigods and their and their um you know divine parents their immortal parents um ancient readers also didn't love that Zeus imprisons his father forever um so when you read Hesiod kind of later you know papyri people will go into the ages of man and make a little note and say, when the age of heroes died and they live among the Isles of the Blessed, who is their king? It is Kronos, because Zeus went and freed his father from Tartarus and granted him kingship in the underworld. And it is this very interesting thing where like, there is an opportunity to rewrite history, to rewrite myth. And even this sort of like violence between, you know, parent and child, um, can be undone uh, kind of over the course of time. Um, I'm curious to see how all of this wraps up, um, but I, I do think that is something worth keeping in mind as we continue to think about myth, that again, none of this is set in stone. And even kind of the, these primordial, these kind of um, archetypal conflicts can get resolved by readers who want a happy ending. Are these are these comments in the these this marginalia? Are these ancient or are these like medieval or Renaissance or? I think they're I think they're ancient. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Here I can, I can I can pull up the notes right now. Yeah, two papyri, 
um, trans transmit this idea um, in in the text of Hesiod that Kronos becomes king um, of the islands of the blessed, um, and that that Zeus frees his father. Um, which again is just such a fascinating idea that you wouldn't expect, right? Kronos belongs in Tartarus. He deserves to be punished. But some people say, maybe not. Maybe Zeus is a merciful king, uh, which I think is is quite fun. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, without going into it, I'd be curious to see when those were written and how they map onto contemporary political realities. Sure, sure. Right? I mean, is it, because so often the way we read things and the way we think about things are, I mean, obviously all we can have is our own perspective. Um, but that's that's influenced and channeled through our own realities. Uh, so, you know, things, people read texts differently uh, during the Second World War than they did uh, in, you know, the, the 90s or something. Um, and certainly read it different uh at different periods in history, depending on what was going on. And we read Percy Jackson different today than we did when it was first published. Yeah. 20 years late. Uh, Cause we're, we're, we're late bloomers when it comes to Percy Jackson, but we're, but we're right on time when it comes to this movie. I mean, this is a, again, this is a cool moment. It's a cool opportunity because I think we are um, going to see revisions um, and so that's yeah. something we can, we can talk about and think about. Um, and obviously, of course, also we, you know, we may have to eat some of our own words when it comes to just th- what happens in the actual uh, original series. Uh, I really hope, and maybe everyone's laughing out there uh, as they hear this. I really hope that Luke's dad is actually Zeus. That would, that would make, make me happy. That would, that would, that would feel more on brand for for the story but uh i guess we'll have to to wait and see any final thoughts sam on uh anything you know it you love it leave us a review it's true that's uh the algorithm uh will then put us at the top of everyone's page homepage, podcast homepage. Listen, I know how you things get, work. Listen, when you get in an Uber and you leave, you give them five stars because that's only the polite thing to do. This is all that we ask, dear humble listener. Leave us a review. Send us an email at allroadspod at gmail.com. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Give us feedback. Um, let us know when we're wrong. Uh, and maybe we'll start issuing corrections um, in future episodes. Oh, um, God. <laughs> But as always, we love you for listening, and we can't wait to f- to finish out uh, the per- the first book of Percy Jackson by talking a little bit more about Medusa. So get excited, people! Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.